Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today is a familiar face. We have South Africa's Minister of Science and Technology, Mamaloko Kubai Ngobani who is also a member of the National Executive Committee of the African National Congress. Prior to this portfolio, she served as Minister of Energy and thereafter Minister of Communications. Welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you very much uh, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have you here. And as I said earlier in the, in the introduction, when we initially met, you were chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Telecommunications and Postal Services. Yes. And in the past three years, your career has absolutely been on the fast track. You received three ministerial appointments, Minister of Energy, Minister of Communications, and our Minister of Science and Technology, which arguably is one of the most important portfolios when we think about development in the knowledge economy. You then also joined the NEC of the ANC. So congratulations. Thank you very much. It, yeah, it does feel like at some time... Though it's just a few, few years, it's two years now. I was saying that I have two years now as a m- member of cabinet. Fantastic achievements. Mm-hmm. So we're here today to talk more about science and technology. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the plans that you're focusing on? Definitely. This is, as you say, it's one of the most critical portfolios, um, exciting. And I can arguably say one of the... That's where the future is lying. Um, In terms of our work, early this year, um, precisely around February, we got approval of our science and technology white paper. So it's a policy paper. Remember, the department never existed prior to 1994. So 1996, it existed, but it still had arts and culture merged with it. So the first white paper, first policy in the country on science and technology, was 1996. So compared to other portfolios where you have legislation and policies that existed prior to 1994, this one, nothing existed. So work that was being done was done in some elements in terms of training and education, you'd find elements of those science and technology and space in the military side, though HSRC existed, CSIR existed, but there wasn't much of coordinated. So with the new government, democracy, then they established the portfolio. Then we, it was almost, we see it as laying the foundation with the new, uh, the 1996 white paper. It carried us through because that's what we used to establish institutions, establish the department, various strategies and different responsibilities. Then now, last, last of last year, 2017, Mr. Pando started a process of reviewing the policy. Out of looking at institutional landscape, reviewing the policy, we realized that as government, we needed to change the policy. We embarked on that process of changing the policy. And last year, we held even um, hosted a summit as part of consultation. We had a panel of experts, global panel of experts that came to look at our policy, give us advice, 
the different panels that came through to look at our institutions, do review of our institution that culminated to all that input into the final paper that we took to cabinet and it has been approved. So we have a, a policy, we call it 2018 white paper policy because we finalized it last year, though the approval was, was in February. So that's where it is. It lays a foundation now to see how to move forward. That's where we're starting to look at how much have we achieved what we wanted to achieve with the 1996 white paper. What we're finding, first challenge around transformational issues, currently still not inclusive. The the, we call it national system of innovation. So we're talking about institutions, we're talking about the education side, we're talking about postgraduate, we're talking about just um, the areas that we need to do, for example, in space, in uh, astronomy, in funding, in industrial research, we found that we still have quite a number of things that are still outstanding. And that's where the white paper now speaks to. But again, one of the things that we looked at is to say, we've done well in other areas. The SKA, for example, uh, the partnership that we've been able to build, but as a country to be able to build those SK, the Meerkat 64, reaching them, we are now in the process of finalizing. Uh, we finalized the design of the SKA's phase one. We're now going to start building because the design is done, procurement will be done by global organization. We signed last month uh, the establishment. Uh, we agreed on the foundation of an SKO organization. South Africa is a founding member. So we've been able to achieve that in the astronomy field. But when we look at SKA, we don't see it as a as pure academic and astronomy, astronomy research. But it's building because it involves engineering. It involves just issues around frequencies. So it's quite a lot. It involves, uh, involves issues around high performance computing. So elements of fourth industrial revolution there because high performance computing talks to big data. And quantum and quantum computing. So it goes to that element. Then we also as well recently launched our second nano satellite. Uh, the first one was called Sumbandela, meaning show the way. It's a vendor language. Um, the current one we've not re named because we've asked the schools to participate to rename in the, uh, the satellite is Zycube 2. We're still calling it with Zycube 2. We launched it. Built in South Africa as a nanosatellite, we can safely say we have as a country capacity to build nanosatellite in the space area. Uh, it has launched, we're starting to see that particularly was for monitoring the ocean's economy traffic. Where we're looking at our oceans, the traffic, how many ships are coming through, whether they are damaging the environment and all that. So we've done that. But again, the capability of the satellite that they're currently synchronizing to be able to help us with the felt fires so that we can pick them up when they start as a small smoke so that we can be able to have a, a quick response time from disaster management. The other area that we've been able to do in space, last year, November, we announced in December, we got finally approved as a regional center for space weather for aviation authority, international aviation authority. This is precisely to say when flights, any even commercial flight, any flight that leaves the continent or arrives the continent, we'll have to request our space agency weather, uh, space weather center for a, a space weather prediction that they now uh, will be required 
to submit as part of their route plan when they submit the normal weather they will have to submit the space weather because this was determined by the aviation authority that uh, currently we have sometimes the activities around the sun and the um, in the space where sometimes the sun explodes when it explodes it, it tempers with the signal that's mm-hmm. where you're finding some of the aeroplane missing and all those things. So as part of safety measures, then the space um, weather comes in. So we've been uh, awarded that um, center. We have the center, so we competed uh, in terms of the bidding process to be regarded as the regional center. And we've been recognized as South Africa. So we'll be doing that for any other airline coming or leaving the continent. There's a tremendous amount of activity that seems to be happening in the space environment and whether that is coming through from a state perspective or from individuals. We've got Elon Musk, we've got Jeff Bezos. Uh, just recently over the week, I think a week or two, we mm-hmm. had the there was a private fund in Israel mm-hmm. launching to, to go to the yes. moon. There's the Mars One mm-hmm. initiative. So yes. there's a lot of excitement generated within the space environment. Definitely, there's a lot of excitement. And with us as well, we see it as an opportunity. Because on the continent, that's why I'll speak about our role and how we are playing. On the continent, we currently, the advisory, we play an advisory role, even for the African Union. Uh, work on science and technology in space. So we were the leading country in assisting the AU to develop a strategy on space so that the continent is not left behind while all other countries are doing. You'd know that currently we do not have a launching site as the continent. So part of what we want to see over time is to have South Africa launching. We tried to launch um, one of the um, satellites. We didn't succeed. Uh, the team was saying they're going to try again. But we want to launch even for people to be able to go to space weather. So we're looking at the continent sites and all that as part of the strategy to say, are we able to identify the good sites that other countries have in order for us to be able to take such activities? So mm-hmm. South Africa is, is playing a quite critical role around this the space area. So there's quite a lot of work that we still have to do, but we, we are really caring. One of the things that we have taken a decision was around Earth observations as a country. Um, unfortunately, the project delayed, um, but we we willing to come back because we were not yet experienced in, in Earth observation. We've never had a satellite on Earth observations. Um, we're hoping that in the coming year or two, we'd have a one of our own that is currently being built. We were speaking about the role of big data, quantum computing, and the, the era of the fourth industrial revolution, because that's where we are now. And it's going to have a huge impact on the way that we work. We're currently in a period of, of discontinuity, which requires direction setting, as you've just mentioned, looking at the integration on the continent. Where do you put a launch site? How can we work work together? But in addition in addition to the work that you're doing on a national level, you're also a member of the Global Artificial Intelligence Council, which is organized by the World Economic Forum Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Can you tell us a little bit more about the council, what it does, what activities you're busy with? Yes, um, the council will be inaugurated in May. 
um, the 20, 28, 29, I need to be in San, San Francisco. I'm crossing my fingers. I was saying to um, the colleague yesterday, because we were launching our affiliate center, said, I think the most people who are at risk of not being at the council of any of the meeting of the councils, myself and uh, Madam Teresa May, because we have our elections and it will be establishment of a new government and she's got Brexit that she she's worried about and the elections at the EU because she's also a member. But the exciting thing about... So in an ideal world... <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the exciting thing about about the, the council, being a member of council, I was approached by the World Economic Forum um, and later learned that quite a number of countries were bidding to be part of it. Um, it's a membership based on the work that you've been doing, championing. So they look at what role you have played in the fourth industrial revolution, whether you've delivered papers, you've been able to speak in public about it, what has been your perspective and the work that you've done. So that's that's how they start looking at uh, selection. Do you have value to add to the global council? Now, though the council will have members who are technical expertise, uh, who are going to help because the chairperson of the council is a person who's been leading, who was um, Microsoft CEO in China. So a person who's written books on artificial intelligence and all that. Now, at the council, the work we're doing is to look across in terms of regulations, in terms of policy frameworks, are they hindering development or innovation? development in technologies or innovation. Are we able to utilize the fourth in the techno new technologies, for example, elements of fourth industrial revolution, but in the manner that is responsive, that does not violate, for example, uh, privacy, all those issues. Again, the other areas that we're looking at is to say, how do we enhance the capacity? Make sure that what we do in terms of fourth industrial revolution becomes inclusive globally. Um, but to the benefit of a human being, of humanity. So it doesn't become technology that destroys lives. It doesn't have technology that destroys the environment and all those things. So the council will be looking at quite a number of things, but more around how do we shape the conversations around fourth industrial revolution? How do we shape policy framework and guide countries mm -hmm. to say this is what would be obviously learning from the best, best practices um, if there is any, or looking at what potentially can be in the best interest of global countries. I presume that one of the, the key things is about access. Because yes. just recently, you know, when you, you work in, in the environments that we work in, in our urban settings, mm. we have the internet at a touch of a button, whether it's a PC, whether it's a smartphone, but only 50% of our world has access to the internet. So we could end up with this tremendous divide as opposed to a, a positive dividend on looking at the tensions between the haves and, and, and the have-nots. That's why with us, um, for example, even yesterday when I spoke, because we had a launch of our, we had a, a, a consultation meeting of the um, Fourth Industrial Revolution Affiliate Center with World Economic Forum where we are consulting business. And my input into that session, and this is what I've been saying, is that you can have programs and, and your direction not responding to your challenges. In South Africa, we've identified three challenges, triple challenges, une unemployment, inequality, and poverty. Now, what we do should contribute towards 
assisting us to deal with it. So when we look at the fourth industrial revolution, we must be able to say, how do we support entrepreneurs to be able to create jobs? Are we able to utilize innovation, which I think we can? Because if you look at innovation and you look at fourth industrial revolution, its ability to be able to create new environment, new jobs. So, but the issue is how do we gear it to gear ourselves up? So, you need entrepreneurs who are going to be innovative, um, who will be creative, but who will be willing to create new industries. From our side as government, we must be willing to create a policy environment that is conducive for these developments to happen. Obviously, you have to bring in the funders who must be willing to fund things that did not exist because the current funding models in banks, uh, foreign direct investments, they want something that is tested, risk-averted, and all those. With, with innovation, you've, you don't have it. That's why and it's called innovation. Exactly. So you can never say somebody has done this, it has worked. You are the first person who's doing it. And we did a we had a conversation with the, even, for example, the banking sector during our white paper policy support because we're asking them, including institutions such as PIC, what makes it difficult for you to fund innovators, entrepreneurs who are innovators, mm -hmm. you know? What makes it difficult and what will it take for you to fund them? So we were having that conversation to say, and they were saying, but it's an environment that we don't know. So the tools that have been used to assess are the old tools. Now, you'll have to bring us on board as well so that you can show us so that we can develop new tools to be able to assess. So it's a whole new opportunity. And once we do that, then you will be able to say, yes, we'll not create industries like previously where you had a factory that could employ 1,000 people. Today's factories are going to employ 20 people. It's using scale. It's using the algorithms, taking on that blend. And in fact, just this weekend, I was reading a case study on cabbage mm -hmm. as a, a, a fintech startup on lending and how they applied a completely different approach to lending in terms of their, their access to, to credit as opposed to being a banking institution and utilizing the monies that come in from people who bank with the institution, but also how they were looking at entrepreneurs and SMEs specifically, looking at their social media pro profiles and understanding, not from a case of what, mm. what is this person posting, but that you've got someone who's engaged, someone who is connected to his or her market, yeah. and taking an alternative approach instead of filling in these mm. mountains of forms and business plans and how you can project with a new business that hasn't been proven. Exactly. Thumb-sucking now, numbers. Now, in, in companies and in business, for example, you no longer need a person. You need data scientists. So now that's one new area that, for example, young people would not know that, okay, data scientists, because you need somebody who's going to analyze data, as you are saying, in a bank. You no longer have to be reading the files. You must be able to go into that social media platform and see and analyze how this person. But again, you must be able to have, if you are to use artificial intelligence, for example, you need somebody who's going to do the algorithm to say these are the elements you must look for. They say, for example, the other time they were saying, uh, uh, it came out, I can't remember where I read it, I read something now, which was saying, the self-driving cars have a difficulty of identified, identifying dark-skinned people. 
Now, the issue there then is the algorithms. You need data of people with dark skin. Contextualize. Contextualize it. It's almost like localization. Exactly. So it's a discussion of localization in a different context. Because previously we talk about, no, we must localize this. Now, localization of data is critical. These are all really exciting, fascinating topics of future industries that, that are yet to come. And technology absolutely demands new skills to function and participate in our digital economy. It's transformed our working world as it is and opened new career possibilities, more especially, I'd say, to women. Because yes. you are behind a screen. You are not necessarily on a face-to-face. You can be creating all of these uh, these ideas and we had the black hole last week where I think it was Dr. Katie Buran who was mm-hmm. one of the, the primary people involved with, with the algorithms and y- you're seeing women come into the fore yes. here. Yeah. So how can we ensure that women don't get left behind in this tech economic revolution? For me, it starts... Um, lower at schools so we need to encourage more young girls to be in this field take math and science for example as subjects then secondly as well in terms of because one of the things we're looking at is that you find them quite a number of them of young girls passimetric there are more than boys actually with math and science but as you go, then you can find them on junior degree because we do funding as they in the portfolio uh, under NRF. So we fund postgraduate studies, honors, masters, and PhD. That's where you start the dwindle away. So last year during the next Einstein Forum, we had a panel that it was in Kigali. We had a panel where we focused on what is it that we need to do to support women to stay in the STEM field. And part of the issues was support more than anything. If you are doing research, for example, and go into the research side, and you want somebody to remain as a postdoctoral fellow, meaning that the part of it, the requirement, is that you must present in international conference, you must write research papers. Now, if I'm a mother, like I'm, I'm now a mother of a two-year-old child, and I need to go to a conference, and I have no support system from my own family, I'm not able to. Because when I go to a conference, there's no facility for children. Now, they tend now to pull back and say, okay, let me start family. Let me raise children. I'll say later, come back. And most of the time, later, they don't come back. So that's one of the areas which is a bit difficult for us to have to resolve. And one of the things that I had to do in the portfolio was to ask, because we looked at the number of fellow um, postdoctoral female. We mean, the number is, is, is shocking. It's, it's below 10% females across the board, black, white, colored, Indian, black, just below 10%. Now we said, what is the problem and how can we resolve? So we agreed with NRF that they are going to review their funding mechanism to be able to look at how best we support so that if indeed we want to support black academics, for example, or female academics to go and uh, enhance their work, 
have international published uh, articles but present in international conferences. Therefore, how do we support them? Should we say as part of the package, we allow them maybe flexibility of a 10% in their funding to be able to decide how they use it? Maybe it could be that they take somebody with with a child to say, when I present at that two hours, then you look after my child. Or they're able to, so that they can be able to do. So the issue of funding for me, it's quite critical. The issue of support. There are areas where you find that it's not only just support and funding, but it's lack of information, especially for those previously disadvantaged communities. So you find people don't know. I always say, make an example with myself. I passed my trick with maths and science. I didn't know space engineering exists as a career. Now, how do we make sure that same thing doesn't happen? So the children who are growing up choose careers. They have actually exposure to this career so that they can choose them. Now, they will not choose them because they don't know about them. So we're doing outreach quite a lot as the Department of Science and Technology. We have what we call Science Week. It's a program that runs for the whole week where we get, we appoint service providers like NGOs that are involved in some subject awareness to go into communities in the most remote communities as well, townships, go to the schools and show that the children are able to have exposure. So they start knowing about the careers, they start knowing about even experiment because we're finding that some of these children are doing maths and science in high school. They don't have science labs. So you start, they start being exposed to those because of the inequality in the education system, the legacy that you still have to correct. So most of the schools don't have science labs. So they, they end up reading about science, not practically seeing science. So that's one of the way we are trying to do it. But another thing that we said as the department is to look at in the new administration, we propose that we look at creating community science centers because we are not able to fund with the limited money, we can't go into high schools and put science labs. So we said, let's do a science lab in a community where schools can utilize me. We have a, somebody managing it. We hand it over to the provincial government. They get somebody to manage it. And then schools can alternate to visit the science labs in a week so that the children have access. We believe that is going to be sustainable. We've been running it in a model of um, mobile labs, but they are limited. They are costly because we've got to pour petrol as they move around. They get damaged. The cars needs to be serviced and upgraded. So it's, it's not a model that is working. So we're thinking that this model of science labs in communities will work. We've done with the universities, but still as well, you find in many of the communities and many of the areas where the high school exists, the science, the universities are far. So that's one of the things that we're looking at as part of increasing access to knowledge, to information, but exposure to more young women. Because you can't want to find them at a at a mature age, you, you've got to influence their interest. You've got to intrigue their interest at an early age. And that's what we think would be able to, to have uh, influence. We also fund the um, Grimestown SciFest Festival, which exposes quite a number of children. I was there last year. This year I couldn't go. I went there. I found more young girls 
who were interested in dissecting mammals. So they were very excited about the um, the sharks there. They were dissecting them because it's about ocean's economy. We're supporting that work. So there's quite a lot of work that we're doing to try just to make sure that we enhance beyond just funding, which I spoke to, that we have specific categories where we are funding. But again, in terms of just those who have completed school, who are already academics and in the centers. We've got what we call centers of excellence. We put aside percentage to say we are allocating now women. We've got what we call Sachi chess in universities. Last year alone, we set aside and appointed 22 female for Sachi chess, just as part of consciously driving the women participation in the center and just making sure that they are supported because with a Sachi chair you have funding. And so you've got a long period of yes, time because often you end up with these short periods and when you're doing research, yeah. two years, three years is, is a drop in the ocean. Yeah. So with the Sachi chairs, then we, are, we launched one last year, the OR Tambo Sachi chair for the continent as South Africa. So we said the OR Tambo one, we are making available support, financial support for African scholars. And on that, we've set aside 60% for female on such issues. So the department has got a number of initiatives, looking at it from a finance point of view, looking at it from a support option, trying to create experiential opportunities and, and digging down into the youth because let's face it they are our future yes. and to create some uh, stimulate their minds so that they can look for opportunities with yes. careers that they might not have have heard of female role models in society are important sources of influence in the way that women see themselves by being able to identify with these individuals to emulate them as well as the way that men perceive women we've had Staying on the science theme, great scientists, Marie Curie, looking at uh, discovering different radioactive isotopes and her work in, in cancer. Um, you know, I don't know if you've seen the movie Hidden Figures with Catherine Johnson. Mm -hmm. Again, mind-blowing in terms yeah. of how women were relegated to the back benches, but being a mathematician, well, NASA. And if I look at across political leadership, I, on the continent, Ellen Sirleaf Johnson, Joyce Banda, Amina Garib Fakim, Pumzilem Nabonuka, all fantastic women. How do you see the role of female leadership, whether it's in the political space, business sector, education? It's very critical, especially with us in the context of South Africa, more important in the context of the continent. I think we still lacking behind I think because if you are to look at you quoted former presidents and deputy president but you look now currently we, we do not have scarce yeah and and that's a, a, a threat to our continent and our nation in terms of going forward because you need young girls to know that uh, like that young girl who wrote to the president and asked can young can girls become presidents we need, they need to see them, not ask about it. They are asking because they don't see um, female presidents. That's why the children will end up asking. That's for me, was, was a, a telling story. It was something that said, hey, look at how you now, your children, are perceiving it. 
Do we have role models? I do believe we do have. We've got a, quite a number of them. The problem is that sometimes because I think it's how we socialized. We're not more aggressive about pursuing and marketing women. I'll say marketing because it's broadly. Whether you go into business sector, you look for women, they are there. I mean, recently I was studying at, at, um, at Harvard. I was doing my leadership program. And then one of the case studies was about a leader in the, in the, in the, at NetBank. I mean, a female. And I'm saying, hell, I had to come into Harvard <laughs> to learn about to read her. about Johnson. She's Johnson as well, to read about Johnson. Um, but how do we make sure that we are able to have platforms? Beyond just because we do it very well in August, we expose all these women, but after August, we go back to the normal. Yeah, there's, a, there's another 11 months of the year. Yes. <laughs> how do we make sure that annually we celebrate? Because if we don't push it consciously, I say it in my portfolio, my team know both the entities, the boards, I tell them we have to be conscious about transformation. It doesn't happen automatically. Now, that's why on the boards, for example, we were appointing boards. I went and looked for women who were below 30 to be on the boards um, as a conscious decision to say. And I said to the chairperson of the board that, look, don't expect much from them because it's their first time sitting in a board. I'm building the next layer of leadership. In the next term, when they're above 30, then they would be matured to know what happens in the board. There will be now, now leaders of these boards, but you can't expect them to come in and know how to be a chairperson of the board when they've never sat in a board. Or you want them to grow and say they must have experience first when they are going to get it if you don't give it to them. So that's one of the things that we have to do across the board. We're sitting with institutions in JC listed companies. We're still below 10%. We had Maria Ramos has resigned. We regressed because of just one resignation because there's not too many. Now, does it say that there's no women who have capacity in this country? I don't think so. They are there, but they are put in the corner. Like previously, they're just not in the kitchen. They but need they are the put somewhere in the corner of, of the boardroom. So one of the things that we have to do and drive consciously is to pull them out of these corners and take a conscious decision to say, we are going to affirm you. We are going to celebrate you. Those who are doing well, we celebrate them. Those who are sitting in the corner, we say, we're going to take you. Those who need mentorship, we need to support them everything you're doing there is is completely right uh, it's it's bringing people on it's grooming it's lifting up and it's helping them blossom which women have been role models for you i looked up to mama winnie a lot i think she she yeah she, quite a lot of things i think her resilient character fiercely not easily intimidated um, stands her ground, stands for the truth. Doesn't matter who you are, she will say what she feels. So that's the person I think I've looked up to for years. Just her character. And the last thing that I admire about her is despite everything that she's been through, she still she was able to stand tall. And she made sure that she looked beautiful. She looked after herself. 
So it's a very rare combination um, that sometimes people think that when you are a woman, um, you've got to be too vulnerable, show your weaknesses in order to look pretty, or you mustn't, you know. She had a rare combination. I don't know how to describe it, you know. A rare combination that if in a normal environment somebody would have called her a tomboy, but in appearance, she looked everything a perfect woman. She she worked in the trenches. Yes. So she was hands-on, mm-hmm. um, tremendous conviction, yes. and and that was uh, strength to to be admired. Yeah. We're coming towards the end of the show, so what I'd like to ask you now is, in your opinion, what have been some of the, the factors to your success? Humility. I and 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 respect. Um, I believe that you need to be humble as a person because your achievement is not about whether it's it's brilliance and all that. It's because there are people who have supported you. It might it might it might have been your in other areas your strength, but more than sixty percent is because there would have people who helped for you to be where you are. And that's what always, but as well to say, where you are, somebody else could have been there. So be humble enough to appreciate that it's an opportunity, give it, and grab it with two both hands and make use it to the optimal. Respect anyone, it doesn't matter who they are, which position they are holding. Give them respect and just be and treat them like human beings who they are Uh, because in life we need each other it's not about positions it's about just Ubuntu treat the next person the way you'd want to be treated those are good values that have clearly held you in instead and finally as we close the conversation could you please use this platform to share a, a few words of wisdom particularly as we're in freedom month to young ladies that are listening to us on the continent um, the message I have for young women is to say believe in yourself because you can be the best that you want to be but you can never do that out of ignorance reading and mastering the concept and mastering the content of what you do gives you authority in what you are doing in order for you to earn respect because you don't deserve respect we earn respect if we can remember that you'll be the best that you can be thank you for those practical words which I I do hope people embrace and, and take on board it's been a real pleasure having you on the show again thank you for hosting me always I enjoy being here and having a conversation And we look forward to our next conversation where you no doubt will have accelerated and developed even further. Thank you. I'm hoping so too. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to the Minister of Science and Technology, Mamoleko Kubai Ngubani.